the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Talked about God's people, his relationship. We talked about God's promises. Let me tell you, God always also has a purpose for his people. God has always had a purpose for his people. Now, our faith is big on purpose. We talk a lot about purpose. For example, you know this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. What does it say? It's a few of you got it. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, not of disaster, not of calamity, but of a welfare and a hope. Ironically, do you know when that took place? That took place around what we call the first diaspora of the Jews. When King Nebuchadnezzar that we read about in Daniel, when he came in and took over Jerusalem and pulled the Jews out of there and the Jewish prophet uh, Jeremiah was talking to the children of Israel and they were complaining and they were saying, when's God going to deliver us? And he said, God knows the plans he has for you. It's, it's not for calamity. It's of a future and a hope. But by the way, it's going to be in about 70 years. So, so be patient. We're big on purpose because we know Romans 8.28. What's Romans 8.28? Well, that's not good. (laughs) Y'all know that. For we know God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Right? We're big on purpose. Well, God had a purpose in this. What was it? All the people of the earth will be blessed through you. That was his forever purpose. That by blessing Abraham, all the people of the earth would be blessed through him. Now, there's a principle there that we've got to apply. Are you ready for it? If you've been blessed, you were blessed to be a blessing. The children of Israel are special. But God didn't bless them just so they'd be special. He blessed them so that they would be a conduit for blessing to the world. And any way God's blessed you, whether he's blessed you with talent or skill or financially, if he's blessed you, he blessed you to be a blessing. None of us are intended to be a cul-de-sac where the blessing pulls in and stops. No, we're to be a channel of blessing. That should be our prayer. Make me a channel of blessing. Make me a channel of blessing, I pray. Make me a channel of blessing. Make me a channel of blessing today. That's what we should be praying. So have all the people of the earth been blessed through Israel? What do you think? This means yes. This means yes. They're in the back. Yes. Let me just give you some examples. Raise your hand if you've ever taken a bare aspirin. All right. Yeah. Guess what? Bear was a Jew. Have you ever been vaccinated for polio? Jonas Salk was a Jew. You ever had a heart condition? 
the doctor that may have prescribed digitalis? He was a Jew. Have you ever gone to the dentist and had him deaden your gums before they started to drill away? And I know some of us are having flashbacks of Nam right there. I mean, that's, that's awful. Well, Stitcher, who developed Novocaine, guess what? He was a Jew. Maybe you've gotten sick and had the doctor prescribe streptomycin. Waxman, who developed that? A Jew. If you ever been to a psychiatrist and had psychoanalysts, you know that Sigmund Freud may have been a little crazy, but he's a father of psychoanalysts, and he was a Jew. Have you ever taken vitamins? Funk, the man who developed and discovered vitamins, was a Jew. Have you ever given money to the Salvation Army or received help from the Salvation Army? William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, had a Jewish mother. Are you a student of philosophy? Spinoza, the great father of philosophy, was a Jew. Karl Marx, the founder of communism, a Jew. Have you ever been married and you took a test for venereal disease? It's called the Wasserman Test. Wasserman was a Jew. The greatest scientist who ever lived, Albert Einstein. Guess what he was? We've all been blessed by the knowledge, by the skills, by the artistry of the Jewish people. But what's the greatest way the world has been blessed through the Jews? Ah, you got it right. (laughs) Jesus, of course. Our Messiah is a Jew. The whole world has been blessed by him. So we've talked about people, and we've talked about promise, and we've talked about purpose. And let me just tell you, God's people cannot be destroyed. God's promise cannot be denied. God's purpose cannot be defeated. Why? Because of God's providence. God has always shown his providence to his people. And that's where this story gets interesting. But first, I need to make sure you understand what providence of God is. Do you know what the providence of God is? It's the hand of God over the ark of history. All right? The hand of God over the ark of history. So has there ever been a time in your life where looking back in your rearview mirror that you say, wow, only God. Now let me see your hands if there's some things you think, I would have never made it through that but God. Yeah, if you've lived long enough, you have those moments. Well, what is that? That's the providence of God. In his sovereignty, in his kingship as the Lord of lords, as the God of all gods, he's leading in our lives and he's making a difference. That is his providence. Well, what does that happen to do? What does that have to do with the promise to Abram? Well, let me give you a little biblical history. God promised Abram a son. And eventually... To their surprise, Abram and Sarah had a son. What's his name? Isaac, his son Isaac. But we jumped ahead a little bit because they weren't patient. They didn't wait on God. And so these faithful people, the father of the nations, Abraham, his wife Sarah says to him, I don't think this is ever going to happen. So there's my maid over there named Hagar. Why don't you just go make a baby with her? Hello. That was not a smart decision. But guess what? She had a baby. You remember the name of that baby? Ishmael, born before Isaac. Historians would tell us all of the Arab people descend from the line of Ishmael. All of the Jews descend from the line of Isaac. All right? That should remind us of something. All of today's decisions have consequences tomorrow. 
Please understand that in your life. We're talking about Israel and we're talking about current events, but man, let me just make it real personal. All of your decisions, you're making them today and they may seem good in the moment. They're all going to have consequences tomorrow. Well, Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And the Bible tells us that Jacob wrestles with God. And in Genesis 32, after Jacob wrestles with God, he gets a new name. What is his name? His name is Israel. So Jacob is called Israel. And some of you didn't know this. That's the first time we have the name Israel introduced to the Bible. So when you talk about the children of Israel from this point forward, you're talking about those that descended from Jacob's line who came from Isaac, who came from Abraham, right? The children of Israel. Well, Jacob had several sons. One of them was named Joseph. Some of you know that Joseph was picked on by his brothers. He was thrown in a pit and sold into slavery. He ended up in Egypt. He ended up in prison, but he made his way to the palace. And he finally became prime minister in that land in a very strategic time in history. And so Joseph was an important person in Egypt. But Joseph died. And in the period after Joseph's death, the children of Israel, the descendants of Jacob, they became slaves in Egypt. And 70 years after Joseph's death, a little baby was born, and his name was Moses. And Moses would encounter God at a burning bush, and God would tell him, Moses... Your special calling in life is to set my people free. Your special calling in life is to take these children of Israel out of slavery and lead them into what? The promised land. Who was it promised to? Abram, Abraham, right? So you see how it's all weaving together? And Moses and that generation would sin. But guess what? Even though they didn't make it into the promised land, the next generation led by Joshua and Caleb, they would go into the land of what? Canaan, the same land that God referred to with Abram. They would go into the land of Canaan where the Canaanites were, and they would enter into the promised land, the land that was flowing with milk and honey, this wonderful land that God was given to his people. But it didn't take long for God's people to become disobedient and rebellious. And as you look at the scriptures, that's what you see again and again and again. It's kind of like us looking in the mirror, right? We have good days for walking with God. And then we have bad days where we're like, who are we? We're like the apostle Paul. I don't do the things I know I should do and I do the things I know I shouldn't do. And that's the story of the children of Israel. So they're crying out to God for leaders. And so God gives them judges and they don't like the judges and they cry out for a king. So God gives them a king. First a king named Saul, then a king named David, then a king named Solomon. And Solomon would come along and it's almost a thousand years after Abram. That's the time that's passed. Solomon would come along and he would build that first temple. And God's people there in Jerusalem would worship at the temple built by Solomon. But Solomon was the last good king. After Solomon, the children of Israel, they had a civil war. They divided. The people that lived in the north, they kept the name Israel. The people who lived in the south, they, they began to go by the name of Judah. And Judah would have some good kings, but Israel wouldn't even have any good kings. 
And this began the time where trouble began to happen to the Jews. Because it would be just a couple of hundred years later, in 732, that the Jewish people began to be scattered. And we call that the first diaspora. In 586, Solomon's temple would be destroyed as Nebuchadnezzar would come in and take Daniel and people like him into Babylon. And the Jews would be scattered even more. And then after that, the promise that Jeremiah gave was fulfilled. And so after that, under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah, the temple walls in Jerusalem began to be rebuilt. And the temple was ultimately restored. And that's the temple that Jesus taught in. That's why I love to go to Israel today. Because you could stand there on the southern steps of that temple. And know that this is where Jesus stood. This is where Paul preached from. You could look around and, and see that this is the place near where Jesus ascended into heaven. And right around here is where scripture says Jesus will come again. But in 70 A.D., So 70 years after the birth of Christ, that second temple was destroyed. And since that time, the Jewish people have been dispersed all over the globe. Today, on that temple mount where the two temples used to sit, sits the most sacred mosque in the world. It's called the Dome of the Rock. If you see a picture of Israel and you see that big gold dome, that's not a temple or a Jewish or Christian place of worship, that's a mosque. And that part of Jerusalem is controlled by the Muslim people. And from that point in 70 AD, when the Roman Empire came in and destroyed Jerusalem, Jews were scattered around the world. A guy named Hadrian renamed the place. No longer would they be known by Israel. They were going to be known by a different name. He would call it Palestina. He would get this because he was naming it after the Philistines. That little stretch that we call the Gaza Strip today, that's where David would have gone to fight the Philistines. And so this man named Hadrian renamed that Palestine. Palestinians of today were not really there in that area at that time. He was naming it because of that connection with Philistine. He also said this. He renamed Jerusalem. And in that first century, he said, no one will ever utter the name Jerusalem again. (laughs) He was wrong because Jerusalem still stands today. From that time until the 1900s, the land of Israel was occupied by countless people. The longest period of time, it was occupied by the Ottoman Turks, not the Palestinians of today. This continued until 1917, after World War I, when British came in, the British Empire, and took over the Turkish Empire that was there, and they began to occupy that territory. But in doing so, the British recognized that this was the homeland of the Jewish people. And so they declared what was known as the Balfour Declaration, and they named Palestine an area that was safe for the Jewish people, the rightful home of the Jews. But this did not reach its full potential until 1948. After World War II, after the Holocaust that killed 6 million Jews, the League of Nations, the forerunner to what we today call the United Nations, they declared that Israel was its own nation state. It's not unusual. We're a church made up of people from about 70 nations. Some of your nations have changed their names throughout history. They've been 
changed because of, of different leadership or, or different takeovers. So in 1948, Israel was declared a nation state. And instantly, the Muslims who had been a part of that land began to fight this. When this nation was born and recognized by the United Nations, there were about 650,000 Jews in the land. Just enough people to inhabit a large city in our country. You know what they were surrounded with? They were surrounded with, this is in 1948, 40 million Arabs. 40 million people who vowed and declared from the moment they came into existence that they would be driven into the sea and destroyed. So when you hear people chant today, from the river to the sea, they're not declaring, give us some of our land. They're declaring, we want the Jewish people gone completely. When you see that acts of terrorism are performed by Hamas, you understand that this is a radical group of terrorists who have as their goal the death of all Jewish people and the destruction of the Jewish nation. This changed overnight. Just before Israel became a nation, a Jew could be arrested if they carried a gun. This week on Facebook, I saw that one of our guides from Israel has been put in charge of his small town. Iran is his name. He's been put in charge of his small town just south of Lebanon and in the northern part of Israel. And they're making sure everybody in the town is armed to protect themselves. The Jews have worked hard to protect this land. When Arabs begin to attack from every direction, from Iraq and Lebanon and Syria and Egypt, they attacked back with fierceness and might that you could not imagine. Miracle after miracle happened. Like in 1967, the famous war that's called the Six-Day War. They were outnumbered 80 to 1. And yet in six days, this small nation of Israel defeated Egypt, Syria, and Jordan. And when the war was finished, they had amassed three times the land that they originally began with. Today, with a small population comparatively in the world, it's the third largest, third strongest military power in the world and the only Middle Eastern nation that produces its own tanks and planes and weapons. All of this for a little nation the size of New Jersey, a nation one-nineteenth the size of California, and a nation that if you could lift it off the map, could sit in the peninsula of our state, Florida, from Orlando to Miami. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Because I want you to understand the providence of God. Listen to what this bishop, Bishop of Bristol, Thomas Newton, said in the 1700s. So about 300 years before Adolf Hitler. The preservation of Jews is really one of the most single and illustrative acts of divine providence. And what but a supernatural power could have preserved them in such a manner as none other nation upon earth had been preserved. Nor is the providence of God less remarkable in the destruction of their enemies than in their preservation. We see that great empires, which in their turn subdued and oppressed the people of God, are all come to ruin. And if such hath been the fatal end of the enemies and oppressors of the Jews, let it serve as a warning to all those who at any time, on any occasion, are for the raising of clamor and persecution against them. You see, the Jewish people in this land of Israel are a special part of God's forever plan. That doesn't mean they can do whatever they want without consequence. No, today's 
decisions always have consequences tomorrow. But it does mean that when God says, I'm going to bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him, he hasn't changed his mind. For example, just, uh, just think about the Third Reich. Think about how Germany looked after World War II. It's still not rebuilt in the way that it was. Think about where Nebuchadnezzar was. Think about how we read in the news about Babylon. Oh, no, Babylon doesn't exist today, do they? What about that Roman Empire that destroyed the second temple and they came in and they took away the name of Israel and Jerusalem? There is no Roman Empire today. No, there's something about the providential hand of God. So we've talked about people, promises, purposes, and providence. But I want you to see where it all comes together. And that's the pathway. God always has made a pathway for his people. See, it's not just Abram that God made a covenant with. We're here today because we are God's covenant people. Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy to Abram. We've been grafted into the family. Except for a few of us in here, most of us are Gentiles. And yet God grafted us into his family. We've been made a part of his family in a special covenant because Jesus said, I I bring to you a new covenant, not a covenant with all these laws, but a covenant that is sealed with my blood. See, the death of Jesus on the cross for our sins and his resurrection from the grave, it sealed that covenant that God made with us. See, the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to Abram is found in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul would say this in Romans 11. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all of Israel will be saved. As it's written, the deliverer will come from Zion and he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. See, Paul was a Jew. He understood as a Jew this covenant with Abraham. But he understood that Jesus was the fulfillment of that covenant. That he was the pathway that God made available to everybody. Do you hear what he said about the Jewish people? That helps you understand what's going on today. I've told you how these people in this land are very special. But I also need you to understand this. The Jewish people of today... They're they're not the people of faith that we read about in Scripture. In fact, there's a word that we read there in that passage that I just read from Romans. Zion, they're people of Zion. The Jews of today are primarily Zionist. They are proud of their land. They're proud of that heritage, but they've rejected the Messiah. They've rejected the pathway. And so as we watch the news, we do so with broken hearts because while there are some Jews who have followed Christ and there are some Palestinians who have followed Christ, the, re- the reality is all of that region is made up of people who desperately need the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to know the pathway. They need to walk with Jesus. They need to understand true faith. And Paul As he would journey, he would always go to the synagogue first, first to the Jews. And then he would regularly share this message like he did in Galatians 3. 
So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. And all nations, he said, will be blessed by you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are still under a curse, as it's written. Cursed is everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on just the law is justified before God. Because the righteous will live by faith. Law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.